Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton, and today I'm joined by curator and film historian Alicia Fletcher and film and culture writer Rad Simon Pillay. On the list of actors who have fascinating career trajectories, there are very few more talked about than Nick Cage. We got into his early career a bit in our season two episode about The Boy in Blue and his inexplicably anachronistic performance. This, of course, was 80s Nicolas Cage before he would become the high drama darling of the early 90s award scene, and of course, before he would become the intensely memeable action star of the late 90s. Today, we're going to look at two movies from 97, which Alicia gloriously refers to as full action kabuki. But before we do that, let's have a look at where Mr. Cage was in his careening career trajectory. Alicia, I know you are an enormous fan that I'm still trying to understand why. Really? Even in 2021, we can't just admit that he's the greatest? Yeah, I mean, I, I, so. I, I don't I don't have... I've been asked by press why I'm such a fan of Nicolas Cage. I never have a very good canned response, except if you look at his filmography... It has a little bit of everything. Uh, and I love just, um, I love that kabukiness. And I think we're seeing that kind of for one of the first times in 1997 with both of these films. Uh, certainly Face Off more than Con Air. But looking at him at this, and keep in mind, Face Off and Con Air are released within three weeks of each other in the summer of 1997. Both of them are sharing like the top five box office. There was no bigger year for Nicolas Cage than 1997. Arguably, perhaps the year prior, uh, where he starred in, um, sorry, two years prior, where he starred in Leaving Las Vegas, was a real turning point for him because he would have won the Academy Award in early 96 for that, um, which, you know, he had been nominated prior, like for Moonstruck. So he was sort of an awards darling. And I think after 1997, when he's been in these, um, you know, insane films, and certainly The Rock with Face Off and Con Air are kind of considered the holy trinity of Nicolas Cage action, his career would really um, take a turn and kind of lands more in the place that we think of him today. Uh, And I'm always fascinated by his choices that he makes um, currently. The first film I saw back out in the theater from um, the pandemic was Pig, and that's a whole, we don't need to talk a lot about that, but I loved Pig so much. And if you look at the filmography, there's always usually two films a year that he does. Uh, 97, it's just these two, Face Off and Con Air. But, you know, looking at 95, you have like Kiss of Death, which is a ridiculous action film where he plays little Junior Brown. And then you have Leaving Las Vegas. And then in like 94, you have um, It Could Happen to You and Guarding Tess. Like he always has these kind of book films, two per year that contradict each other. And I think it's really interesting in 97 because we get two films, Con Air and Face Off, that complement each other so, so well. So much so that they can be in the same megaplex at the same time in the universe. I mean, imagine being alive in June or July, is July, I think, of 1997, where you could like 
pay for Con Air and then sneak into Face Off or vice versa. Like that is. I actually snuck into both of these movies because I was 12 years old and these were PG-13. Yes. And uh, I was very important to the boy that I was very enamored with that we go to see these movies. So we snuck in together. Are you sure they can't they were PG-13? They were PG-13. No, Face Off was R. It might be PG-13 now, but I thought it was, I was convinced it was R in 97. Well, I mean, so uh, being in Canada, because I was 15 at the time, and I remember that I think they were, I'm pretty sure they were 14A, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Because we had the, uh, like a lot of the R-rated movies or PG-13 movies would fall into 14A, and that's that yes. was our situation. I don't know if that's 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 what, probably uh, I just remember I snuck into it and we almost got called out on it by this like teenager who right. came in and was like, should you be in this movie? And we were like, why? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We should. And like, look at how adults we are. <laughs> oh, and just a clarification back then, I don't think it was actually called 14A back A-A? then. I think it was actually. Yeah. 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 Regardless, these were movies I probably should not have seen at that age. I would always joke that I was going to, you know, go to my AA meeting, which is not a very good joke, but it was like exciting. How I would have been, yeah, your age exactly, Becky. It would have been exciting to go see an AA film at 12 because you weren't technically supposed to. And all of John Woo's films prior, well, maybe not Broken Arrow, but like anything, John Woo was very much a rated R director. Now, Con Air is strange because it's produced by Disney, which is like, and is currently on Disney Plus uh, without any disclaimers. Um, and rewatching it for this podcast, uh, well, I mean, I watch this film once a year, but rewatching it in this context, I was like, <laughs> oh, it needs several disclaimers. And I love that kids can just access Con Air when they like put the word C in trying to find Cinderella. And it's like, oh, I could watch Con Air. Like, Cinderella, Con Air. <laughs> That's what the parental advisory button is for. And then is, the is, pins on everything is, else. Let me tell you, it is something we've done, especially now that all the alien movies are available there. Cause yeah, it's, we love Amphibia. We don't need to watch alien at seven it's not happening yeah. well i guess con air is a cinderella story nick cage has his long hair he's on a pumpkin he's got to be back at a certain bunny. time there's a oh, God. yeah this is, okay this is i'm a... taking us into the first movie here we go because aside from the bees meme is there a more memeable moment than the long hair tank top cage stepping into the fresh air and whipping his luxurious mane <laughs> around as he takes in the sunshine and this of course is only one of the wild moments in the increasingly nonsensical cavalcade of chaos that is Con Air. It just keeps like escalating. And the plot is kind of simple on this one. Rad, do you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, I mean, I think like just first off, just bouncing off your the the that shot you refer the the shot you're referencing, which is you know it was on all the trailers. It's uh, Nicholas Cage uh, stepping off a plane and yes, flocking that mane, <laughs> looking very Fabio like. <laughs> I think that was the first indication that the plot yes. does not matter. Nothing matters. This is all nonsense because that look does not fit Nicholas Cage at no. all. Okay, like that, like, like if that he was him like have like that look. It would have been in Raising Arizona. You know what I mean? No, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like I mean that was like a Van- Jean Claude Van Damme look like Van Damme mm-hmm. pulled that off in maybe like the early 90s and stuff but it wasn't working for Nicolas Cage it, like you know he doesn't have the kind of muscles to pull off the whole I'm gonna walk around a tank top for the whole movie even though he tried I don't know Alicia uh, might be yeah, disagreeing with me here but no I think he looks this is like him in peak <laughs> physical 
shape, uh, I would say. Are you sure? It, but it, which is still not good enough to pull off the tank top. The, 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 the look, okay? Yeah, he's but, a wiry no. man as opposed to being like a big yeah, yeah, bulky yeah, superhero. Exactly. He's, you know, slender, trim. Yes. So, so be, like, you know, it just it didn't make sense and neither does the plot of Con Air, <laughs> which is about uh, a bunch of, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a jailbreak movie where the jail is in the air, okay? Like, it is a it is about a prison transport uh, the, where, the, where this giant cargo jet is transferring the world's most vicious criminals and it just so happens that this marine who is serving time for uh, uh for a, a murder he shouldn't be serving time for where you know a murder that was uh, committed in self-defense he just happens to be hitching a ride on this extremely uh maximum uh, security prison in the air he's hitching a ride back home to his family who's waiting on him and of course when there is a jailbreak a hostage taking he is in the middle of it like john mcclain and die hard and he's got to foil the whole thing while pretending to the criminals that he is still one of them that was well done that's perfect that was actually really good yes yeah and it's like as they're introducing all these people let's say also that the plane stops multiple times to pick up more character actors who never actually get the do like there's so many characters here that i would actually really want to follow who they are like i am fascinated with sally can't dance Mm -hmm. how did she get there why is she so Mm -hmm. vicious like i want to know way more about her steve buscemi's character deserves a whole film like it's just I feel a little robbed while simultaneously being like, I'm at a buffet and I can't eat any more MSG. I, I could have you know done what I mean? less with Danny Trejo, despite the fact that I love Danny Trejo. Mm. And I think yeah. this was a real turning point in his career. He plays Johnny 23 because he was convicted of uh, raping 23 women. And there is a female guard um, named Bishop in this film. And the whole like... Uh, I just, I really would like to delete that plot of like, you know, she's going to get attacked mm. because he wants and to become Johnny 24. The... And I'm like, why are we yeah. celebrating this? This is a little Well, disturbing. and that's the only reason why there is a female guard is for that plot line to happen, which is blah. It is, however, Rachel Ticotin from uh, Total Recall, who is great. the ultimate woman, as we all know. She's fabulous. Yeah. The turning point in Danny Trejo's career, because I mean, it was just, was it just a year or two ago that he was in Desperado because that's how we discovered Desperado's Trail, 94 right? Like, right so this would be maybe his first like I think it's oh, 95 right. and oh and also Heat was the yeah, same year this right? would be his big turn in like yeah, a Des- you know 100 million dollar like Disney film right. you know it's Danny Trejo friend <laughs> of the Muppets first Disney film <laughs> as a rapist <laughs> yeah there you go yeah 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 yeah. I mean, I, but I mean, I disagree that I would want more from Steve Buscemi's character, who is this like Hannibal mm-hmm. Lecter-ish person, like tossed into the plane in a, in a in an ultimate wheelchair that like keeps a man in and stuff. Because it's like, I guess the the best thing about that character is that we know absolutely nothing, and we don't know what to make of him when he's in one fight. When like, it's like this is a character who apparently thirty two people. He, he was like, known as um, the Marietta Mangler. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I mean, as wrong as so much of this is, like, the, you know, getting to that scene where he's playing dollhouse with a yeah. little girl and the tension and dread of that moment, which still leaves me uncomfortable, but at the same time, yes, riveted. absolutely. Uh, you know, like, like that's I, I think the little the least we know about his character is the better. But but the thing is, I mean, we're talking about the entrances, right? I think the entrances is what makes Con Air. Yeah. Even if it's as ludicrous as Nicolas Cage, ta- you know doing the thing with his mane <laughs> but it's like it's everyone's entrance entrance like ving rames entrance when he hops off and he's all diamond dog, like yeah. he's, he's he looks like yeah. he's like suge suge knight basically coming off a bus at that time right i think this is we're, what state we're, we're at the stage where death row was just about falling apart so there's a real like seeing ving rames in this red orange brightly colored doing that 
prance off the thing. It's like a lot of these, all of these villains are channeling us a, a very different energy. Right down, like first of all, I loved. I mean, the bit my favorite thing about this movie is John Malkovich mm-hmm. as oh, Cyrus the Lord. Virus. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible performance. But even Dave Chappelle, yeah, who Pinball. I mean, I know he's is great not a, in this, and he's improvising. Yeah, but like, I mean, like I, <laughs> and he's he's yeah, he's absolutely hilarious. So there's a real diverse mix of fascinating characters that elevate this movie that is otherwise it, it, it's ridiculous. complete it's like, ridiculousness and you're i think you're totally right rad that it throws everything at the wall and while not everything sticks what does stick is very delicious and you know mm-hmm. it it the idea of you have column meanie in this film and he's just yelling the whole film <laughs> he serves no purpose other than to get his like penis car basically destroyed and just scream the whole time your men are incompetent but Dave Chappelle is quite good in this and obviously quite a contentious figure right now. Um, but if you mm. want to see his body hurled out of an airplane and land on a, a Volvo, <laughs> this is the film for you if that's cathartic. That is probably the most memorable sight yeah. gag I remember from yeah. a movie ever, right? Like, it's a, this is a movie where there's so many things that have happened in it, and there's so many like, this is happening, this is happening, and they're just throwing everything at you that you forget that there is a fire truck chase at the end. Oh, yeah. You forget the motorcycles, like, all, the all that I forgot, yeah. even though I watched this once a year. I was watching yeah. it this morning, and I was like, okay, the film seems like it's over. And I was like, wait a minute, it's 35 minutes. It's <laughs> like, right. But the motorcycle, I mean, I, is that like an, a, a it reshoot? It has to be. The motorcycle, I, it feels like Attack such a reshoot. Like the movie seemed like over and they forgot, oh, we didn't kill the bad guy. Yeah. Like we didn't see him die. We need to do a Here's thing. Here's a theory I have. So it, I recently went back and watched Terminator 2 and I realized what is so amazing about Terminator 2 is also, yes, the special effects are still great, but that is a movie that has multiple climaxes. Like, oh, you think it's over? Nope, this is happening. Oh, you think it's over? Nope, this is now happening. Now he's doing mm-hmm. this. And if you watch, that's the turning point for action movies doing that. Hmm. They didn't do that before. And I think they're doing a Terminator 2 thing. We're like, oh, you think it's over? Nope, here's the next thing. And they just keep raising the stakes until someone's head get, think, gets crushed. I think for Bruckheimer, like The Rock has that to some extent as well, um, which is just the year prior. So like this is really, this is just where we are. We just can't end films. They all have to be about two hours or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily we're not in the 21, 2021 era where films are literally two hours and 45 minutes and then you set through <sighs> trailers. But like two hours is a long running time when you think about a yeah. special effects budget for a film like Con Air and to a lesser ex- extent Face Off. I'm thoroughly entertained. I think this is this is a smorgasbord film. Definitely. It's in the canon of smorgasbords. I do love, I think Cyrus the Virus, which is John Malkovich's character, if you would, that is such an important piece of the puzzle, because if that had not been effective, this film would have failed completely. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting looking at who they thought they were going to get to play him. Originally, it was going to be Gary Oldman, who, of course, was in his own like insane, chaotic <laughs> airplane film in 1997, Air Force One. Um, and I know Malkovich, interestingly enough, refuses to discuss this role. Like if you go into, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Malkovich Rad, but um, you know, he don't bring up Con Air. It goes very badly. This is on his like blacklist of films, which I think is kind of sad because it's at least seems like he's having fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is he is such an incredible character, but that's probably based on his own experience of it. Right. Like if you try to talk to Matt Damon about some of the, uh, about Born Ultimatum, 
he goes real huh. sour, right? It's not like Born Ultimatums, but it's because of his experience with Tony Gilroy. What I have heard about this yeah. one and also about our next one is these were not particularly safe sets. And a well, lot of people yes. were put in situations Someone was killed. where they should not have been put. There, yes. Yeah. Somebody was killed yeah. on Con yeah. Air, right? Which is very, I mean, you think about, like, especially now we're talking about what's happening on the Rust set. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Right? This was specifically um, a special effects uh, supervisor named Phil Schwartz who was underneath one of the model, like very large scale model, model airplanes and it um, it fell and crushed him. And so the film is dedicated yeah. to his name. Um, and that was something that actually I was not aware of until doing research uh, for this, that, you know, I think in 2021, that would be a much bigger news story. But if you look at um, the 90s, there's a lot of special effects people and actors for that matter who are killed making films. And we kind of the news just kind of passes it by. It's also the big switch over transition between practical and CGI. Like this has a bunch of practical effects that now would entirely be digital and therefore would be much safer. We're going to talk about that in the second one, too. But that's just John Woo's yeah. thing. He likes to, you know, throw things at other yeah. things and see what explodes. But I do want to like I sorry, I do want to go back to like the Nicolas Cage Please. career arc thing, right? Because I think I mean, I think in terms of well, I mean, not, not just Nicolas Cage, because I think like experiencing like because, yes, I uh, when we saw him in action movie mode in The Rock, right? Like that was that made sense. Because it's like he is this gangly, nerdy-looking, dorkish character, and his character yep. in The Rock made sense because he was like, "It's like this guy shouldn't be in an action movie," and he yeah. knew it, yeah. right? Like he's like, and he's be not Kabuki. Up with super he's not Kabuki in The Rock. He's not. Exactly. He's very caged. He's not uncaged. It's 1997 exactly. where the cage door opens <laughs> and he is he right. bursts onto the scene. But that's what The Rock is like his gateway yeah, drug, yeah. right? It's like it's the movie that like then all of a sudden uh, positioned him to then go full again, coming out and tossing his mane and stuff like. So that's such a weird transition to go from this like you know like this this movie where he's like testing the waters of uh, uh of action of an action movie and then coming out off a bus and flocking his mane. I like, think that's, he was given a lot okay? of leeway. And, like he's got an Academy Award under his belt. Mm, the Rock was ginormous right. at um, the box office, which, which proved that he could carry an action film. And I feel like with Jerry Bruckheimer on Con Air, especially, they were like. You do whatever you want. You play this character however you want. The accent right. is ludicrous. And I'm okay with that. Like, I <laughs> yeah, expect that. The amount of times he says things like, put the bunny back in the bag, or like weird, <laughs> just bad dialogue. He's so proud of that bunny. Well, it's yes, all he has, Becky, because he's been in prison, yes. and it's expensive <laughs> to buy things in prison. I said, put the bunny back in the box. But he's just really given full tilt and he takes it. And right. that's that. That's why for 97, that's the origin of Uncaged Cage. Even though we have Uncaged Cage in right. Moonstruck and we have Uncaged Cage in Zandali and all these films I'm obsessed with. Those were all kinds of, well, Moonstruck's a huge film, but like something Zandali's a smaller film. Um, this is where we get someone in a hundred million dollar film that would become the Kabuki Cage that we know and love today. But also, but in terms of transitions mm -hmm. though, there, I think Con Air, was basically like the end of the Die Hard style action movie because hmm. and, and I think the part of that transition and it's kind of the runoff uh it's it is runoff of the Michael Bay era basically like it's like it's a it's a movie that feels completely in, like like it's like we we have to follow this mold that Michael Bay created in his one two punch of bad boys and the rock the rock very much being in the bad uh, the Die Hard style but then you know Michael Bay transitions towards 
uh, I mean, first comes um, Armageddon, and then we start getting the island, and we get towards uh, Transformers. Yeah. So this disaster, that kind of blockbuster action movie. And Con Air is this kind of this thing in between where it's it's definitely you know it's got Mark Mancina who was the sound guy for both. He, he did the music for mm-hmm. Bad Boys. It's got like that that kind of golden light visual style that uh, Michael Bay loves so much. So it's like it is like kind of the last remnants of that like of that era before Michael Bay turned it into Transformers. That's a really great point. We've turned the action movie towards uh, Transformers. And this is probably an era where, you know, I wouldn't say in 1997 when I was very young that I loved action films. I grew up on them. I grew up on Jean-Claude Van Damme and, but I had never seen a John Woo film probably, at least certainly not his, um, his Asian films. I'd maybe seen the American ones, but like, this was a film that at least, like, even if you weren't into action, appealed to everyone. I would say Con Air. <laughs> no, I'd say. Oh, you're still. Okay, I know. I was saying John like Woo, for both of these, I just had. I wasn't like oh, accustomed yeah. to either like these kind of action films. But like in terms right, of right. you know 1997 Con Air, even though it was probably rated AA in Canada and maybe PG-13 in the U.S., I think families went and saw this. Um, I think this was mm. you know universally appealing. A lot of the reviews from 97 are pretty um, mean to it because I think it they thought it, it was something that it wasn't. Like, this film knows it's dumb. It knows it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and it, it embraces that. In the same way that some of the, like, I'd say the adventure films from the 50s do that or, you know, universal horror films from the 30s. Like, it knows what it is, and when it's good at what it is, it's glorious. And I, I think that's why we can right, still right. watch it, you know, third, 20, where are we at, 25 years later? I think this is Cage still shaking off his prestige thing. Like, did he ever actually want that prestige drama darling persona? Like, did he want that? Or is he just happy making the movies that he wants to make that are just, like, fun and weird and he gets to embody different maniacs? I think he likes variety. And I think, um, you know, I don't know if any of our listeners or either of you have seen Leaving Las Vegas, but it's a riveting performance that was absolutely deserving of an Academy Award. and again, like that year, he's, you know, he's doing um, something like, uh, oh, I can't remember what the name of the film is, Dead, Dead, not, is it Deadfall? No, Kiss of Death, which is Barbet Schroeder. Right. Um, it's just him like doing push-ups the whole film. I mean, that's released within months of leaving Las Vegas. So I think, and Deadfall is like 93, which is sometimes if you like Google like Nicolas Cage most insane moments, most of those moments are from Deadfall where he's wearing the prosthetic nose. Very few people have seen it, but I encourage our listeners to research Deadfall. Um, it was going to be the secret film when we did Uncaged at the review, but then the pandemic shut that whole festival down. Uh, I probably shouldn't have revealed that because we still want to do... Anyway, that's for listeners only. Um, <laughs> I don't think he cared. I, I think it was about like maintaining integrity, about having fun, about... He's very method. Like I know when we go to talk about Face Off, there was a lot of things that he was very frustrated by with um, being on set. Like he really has to get into character. And there's a lot of, you know, commentary about his real roles today that he just takes all of these films because he has to pay off his like, you know, bank, his his castles and, and whatever the bones of Elephant Man or whatever he bought and he's in debt the for. pyramid in New Orleans. Yes. Yeah, but I think, oh, he won't give up that New Orleans space. That's like his home. But um, that's a little side note. But uh, I think he does this still to this day because it's 
it, he likes to work and he likes variety. And I think that was true in 1997 and you know even 95 when he was doing Leaving Las Vegas. I want to bring us into John Cusack as well, because this is a weird period for John Cusack. And a lot of people forget he's in this too. And you're like, okay, he's the guy who's making the phone calls from like the, the control room. And he mostly stands in his giant David Bernian suit, uh, which uh, my partner pointed out to me, Arsenio Hall was a very big fashion influence in the 90s. And we all need to remember this. Um, but then he gets on the motorbike and then he becomes an action star in his own right. And you don't often think John Cusack action star. Is he hideously miscast in this or is this exactly where his career should have gone? I feel like he's, he was kind of perfectly cast in this, right? He has the look. He's like, you know, that kind of dorky, sh- like, I mean, like, there's a dorky coolness to him that I think was just right for this, right? Where he's like, he could be an action star, but st- but from a desk from where exactly where he's positioned. Yeah. It almost becomes like know. a buddy cop movie at a certain point. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, there, there's a, I don't know. John Cusack strikes me as the kind of person that just, he has so much curiosity and empathy in his face where it's like, there's like, there's something guard, guarded about his kind of disposition, but then there's something empathetic about his eyes. And that's just so kind he's of- He's an everyman. He feels like know, the boy like next I've, door. Yeah. Um, I, we're talking about that buddy crop moment, Becky. Definitely when they get on the police motorcycles together in unison, that's probably where that's at its most <laughs> peak. But um, if we're going to talk about like Nicolas Cage trajectory, I mean, look at John Cusack's trajectory recently. Like if yeah. you haven't seen an unhinged John Cusack, I encourage everyone to watch The Paperboy, which is- one of the most insane performances. He's kind of gone full kabuki at this point. Um, Certainly his Edgar Allan Poe film is very odd performance. there's a similarity there. Like it took longer for him to get there um, than Cage, but he's very much there right now. I mean, if you look at Cage's example, he, my assumption is his paycheck for Face Off and Con Air combined, as well as, you know, from the year previous, The Rock, would have been so enormous that he was able to fund his own production company. And by, you know, 99, he is shooting something like Shadow of the Vampire, which is his first um, first produced film. And I, I absolutely love that film. So I love the idea that Shadow of the Vampire kind of exists because Con Air and Face Off exist. <laughs> like, it's, it makes sense to me. I just want to counter a late up point you made earlier about this the, before this is being like Nicolas Cage, like this, um, Nicolas Cage's action kind of phase ending here because i think we're we're forgetting gone yeah. in 60 and seconds. next and drive angry and, and like yeah. but i mean gone in 60 seconds being like that that kind of a well, and, and national action, treasure kind of action mode before going yeah, into national yeah, yeah. Treasure, no, exactly. it's always been there before going into kids disney they're really breaking open that disney style of like national treasure and i think did he do sorcerer's yeah. apprentice yeah yeah is that what and even yeah. like you know there's sorcerer's apprentice yeah. and then what's that other medieval one he did with ron perlman that i'm actually quite a fan of i can't remember what it's called but uh something crusade but uh yeah, action's always going to be there. And I would argue, you know, the we're really in a cage renaissance around, you know, 2020, 2021, going into 2022. Like right. the, the Lovecraft stuff that he's doing, like the color out of space has action elements of it. But certainly Mandy has a very yeah. interesting yeah. twist on the action genre. Um, yeah, he, it's, it's, he does it really well. I guess the turning point is that 97 is when he got paid a bazillion dollars to do it. Right, right, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Snake Eyes. I mean, Snake Eyes has elements, which is 98. Oh, yeah. This is just right after, you know, like following 97, he makes two films, City of Angels, <laughs> which we don't need to talk about, and Snake Eyes. And so, that, again, he's still yeah, bookending yeah. or like having these weird contrarian companion pieces. Um, 99 is a bit different because it's 8 millimeter and Bringing Out the Dead, which are much more thematic to me, like yoked. I think Bringing Out mm-hmm. the Dead is 
one of his greatest performances and a film that I absolutely love. And we have it on Hollywood Suite um, coming up, which we're really excited about. But uh, I could talk about Nicolas Cage for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's hone it in on Facebook. That's right. Let's move it on Nicolas to the next Cage. one. All right. So when we come back after the break, it's, of course, face off. Will they take their face off and scream about it? You bet they will. It's coming up after the break. 
raw materials from. Uh, well, fair. <laughs> I mean, it took a little bit longer than what John Woo predicted with that five-year turnaround. But we are we're getting we're inching closer and closer to the reality of face-off, which is both. Um, no, it's not exciting. It's terrifying. Well, I think the believability is less about whether this technology is possible, or and more about why did we have to go to this length to find yeah. out where a bomb is. <laughs> Fair. Right? Like, if we have wiretapping like, and, you know, any sort of GPS, like, yeah, nope, nope, not happening. Uh, before we yeah. get into that, there's a bomb, obviously. People's faces get switched. Alicia, do you want to give us just a quick plot summary on this one? If someone inexplicably has not yeah, seen this yeah. movie. So Sean Archer is played by John Travolta. He is, um, I can't remember if he's FBI or DEA, but he's, he's, he's an enforcer of yeah. some kind. And his... Anti-terrorism, yes, thank you, Rad. And his sworn enemy is uh, Caster Troy, played by Nicolas Cage. Caster Troy, in the beginning of this film, within 30 seconds of the movie starting, um, goes to assassinate uh, John Travolta's character and accidentally kills his five-year-old son, who he's in proximity. That kind of kicks off the story. Um, We fast forward five or six years. I think it's six years. Um, Sean Archer, John Travolta's character, is kind of living a life in shambles. His marriage is pretty bad. Played His wife's played by Joan Allen, who is phenomenal in this film. And John Woo fought for that casting. And I think that is wonderful. He's got, you know, a teenage daughter who's rebelling, played by Dominique Swan, um, soon to be Lolita. (laughs) Um, And... They finally catch Castor Troy, this terrorist, uh, and he's in a coma, except his, he's set up a bomb somewhere in Los Angeles, and they don't know where. They know the date it's going to explode. Um, Castor Troy's very sort of imbecile younger brother is played by Alessandro Nivola, who I love, uh, and they decide they've put him in prison. They decide the only way to find out where the bomb is is to go undercover and try to get Castor Troy's brother to tell them. The way to do this is to cut Castor Troy's face off. I'm going to use the term face off as often as possible. Please do, um, yes. So this, this is this is Nicolas Cage's face. Cut his face off, put it onto John Travolta's character's face, and have him go into the prison as a prisoner where no one actually knows this except for a few scientists and get the information out of um, the brother character. What happens, unfortunately, is when you cut someone's face off and they're in a coma, it wakes them up. And so Nicolas Cage's character is like sat straight up, realized he doesn't have a face. But lo and behold, and I don't want to say it's on the nightstand, but basically it is. There's John Travolta's face. So he kidnaps the scientists and get them, gets them to do the full surgery on him. So we have a full switcheroo, as I like to call it. And essentially, Nicolas Cage, the bad guy, kills anyone who knows that John Travolta has gone through this. And he's stuck as Castor Troy. Uh, and they, but he has to save his family because John Travolta, um, who is really Nicolas Cage, is sleeping with his wife and like giving his daughter cigarettes and acting super strange at work. But no one seems to like clue in to what's happening. <laughs> These are people who also have completely different body types. <laughs> oh, and they make about, a joke like, about we'll just we'll do some Cage. rhinoplasty. I can't if they say rhinoplasty. I think that's a nose job. But they're like, we'll just get those love handles off a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also like John Travolta is a full two or three inches taller than um, Nicolas cage and there's no like wound healing like i'm not saying i've had plastic surgery but i've done the research you're out for like well let's say i got a ch- like work done on my chin that would probably be like three weeks um th- yeah i think they explained that that uh, somehow yeah. they have some kind of anti-inflammatory I, yeah, they just up the healing process. <laughs> yeah. you're right rat they do explain <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um, but like electrolysis like they have to change the body hair they have to change hand my whole thing mm-hmm. is like hands if my partner came home with some other guy's hands 
Which right now I'm writing a screen. I should write a screen play about this. I would know. I would know something was up. So I'd be like, those aren't your hands. Or even feet. Like, think right, about right, your partner's yeah, feet. Your wedding ring doesn't fit. Like, that would sure. be, I mean, I'm with you. That's actually really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like, again, I feel like this is something, it's fascinating to me because this movie was in development for so long. Yes. Like, people loved this script and it just kept getting from, like, iteration to iteration. At one point, it was, like, full scale in the future, like, like 20, 28, 20, 30, whatever. And then they were like, no, 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 let's scale it back forward. And I think fascinated that this is the version they landed on but it does feel like it has more explanation and more world building in it than we actually need given how incredible the action is yeah well you know like speaking of like those previous iterations and again i don't know which of those previous iterations like are actually factual or people just telling but i mean because at one, one point i think i've read that at one point they considered this to be this futuristic movie with arnold schwarzenegger yes, and sylvester stallone yeah. which makes perfect yeah. sense like that made absolute sense for that era like of course you want to, if you're gonna have two big action movie stars facing off, those are the two. One coming off of like, you know, he's like he's off of his uh, Terminator fame, Stallone off of whatever the other fame, and and in set in the future, which is their jam often. Uh, and Stallone just, just had demolition, say, demolition, and demolition Man and Dread, and yeah, yeah. right. And and then and then I think about I think that um, even like one of their recent reunion movies, Escape Plan does have them both in a futuristic prison correct. having to escape, right? It almost looks like the escape plan is almost like, oh, we didn't get to make face off. Let's do this uh, jailbreak movie here. So that totally makes sense. And I feel like what somehow coming down from that to make this movie is very mm-hmm. weird. A lot of people must have been really, really upset. And yet it's a thing yeah, of beauty. It's a ballet. Right? It's like there's no way whatever the hell they were going to make uh, the other version of what they were going to make was going to be anywhere near as they good They also as had to explain to a lot of executives exactly how this was going to work like apparently one executive said that the makeup would have to be staggeringly good for people to believe these two had switched places it's like no 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 the actors just <laughs> he do was good each makeup. <laughs> and I think that's pretty amazing I think the like the initial spe- like this is the perfect blend for me of like special effects and practical effects like you kind of need special effects to be where they are to be able to pull this off because like even the bit where he's playing with the voice chip in his uh, trachea and you kind of hear his voice kind of mm-hmm. fuzzle and do things I'm like oh that's kind of a neat idea of how you would approach that right like how does the voice change peach i could eat a peach for hours perfect this is a very thoughtful movie full of a lot of explosions i think you know i mean john woo is a phenomenal director and i'm with you becky like obviously um the john woo film would be the ultimate action for me but it's so important to just point out how committed Travolta and Cage were to this ridiculous plot like they spent I think it was like at least three weeks living together at least spending every day together to learn each other's mannerisms and I have to say John Travolta plays a better Nicolas Cage than sometimes Nicolas Cage is currently. <laughs> it's amazing. He does the impersonation yeah. in interviews. People were like, can you give us a bit of Cage? And he'll do it. Like, apparently it is ingrained in him now. Wait, you good looking. You're hot. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. It's really well done, and I just think this is a ridiculous plot. It's a ridiculous movie. I think it's almost an opera. I think it's 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 masterful, same as you, Rad. But I just love that this actors never looked down on it, um, and I think that that's where mm-hmm. Cage is at his greatest, uh, and Travolta too. I'm actually a very big John Travolta fan, and we just talked about John Travolta and Urban Cowboy um, on this podcast, and. 
It's that any role they take, whether it's Battleship Earth or, you know, for Cage, there's obviously some phoned in roles. I can't lie about that. That does happen. But when he is great and he's taking, you know, the story and he's he's twisting into something wonderful because he's committed. And that's why Mandy is so good. And that's why The Color Out of Space is one of the be- best Lovecraft adaptations we have. It's because he's never, never looking down on the material. And they don't look down on this ridiculous film. I agree, like, 100% that it is the performances that makes this go above and beyond. And it's like, I mean, I don't want to be dissing the action set pieces in this movie, but the real thrill in this movie is the violence in the domestic yes. scenes. In the sense of, like, when John Travolta's getting off on the moves he's making on his, on 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 the, the other yeah. dude's wife. Or the right? daughter, where, where, right? You know, That's where, the other one. Yeah. Or the daughter, yeah. It's like, it's like these are, like, like, firework emotions that are happening in the scene of, I am lecturing this dude's daughter I am making moves on this dude's wife and when Nicholas Cage is in the other on the other side of it, it's like where he's like kind of breaking under the reality of Caster Troy's yeah. world like seeing that this guy has his son and this wife like like all the performances there are the most exciting things about and I think you know coming back to and, Joan yeah. Allen who um producers the studio were like oh you can't hire her she's so old she's 32 years old she can't she's not believable as a mother of a 16 year like it was ridiculous like they wanted someone super hot i mean joan allen's like very hot to me anyway but uh i think it really speaks to john woo's integrity that he's like no this needs to be a believable wife this needs to be someone who looks Mm -hmm. like a doctor who looks like you know someone that has a marriage that's lasted 20 years and is grieving her son and so it's very believable those domestic pieces and you know countering Joan Allen is I think a really fantastic performance from Gina Gershon I was just about to say that yeah, yeah. Like if they've built this whole world of contrast and how do you contrast Joan Allen Gina Gershon and she you know, got cast so because um, John Woo had seen her in Bound which uh, Bound is coming to Hollywood Suite. So we, we are all very excited because Bound is fantastic <laughs> um, and so he really knew how to cast this film and he knew how to fight for actresses and I really respect that in him because I don't think that was happening a lot in the action genre and look at Con Air, like Monica Potter has nothing to do in that film. Literally nothing. It's fine. Like there's not many roles for women. There's the female guard who's quite good, but like this is actually a film that has fleshed out female characters and that's really exciting. Can we also talk that a lot of yeah. the character actor roles are filled with women and like Margaret Cho character actors. Margaret Cho, CCH Pounder, mm. two of my absolute yeah. favorites who, you know, CCH Pounder gets horribly burned to a crisp with Canadian icon Colm Fior. Oh, yeah. I love Colm Fior so much. This was him. Uh, apparently what he used to do. I love this. This is my little Colm Fior thing is that he got so much work because of 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Um, apparently this was like a darling, like it didn't do great in the box office, but he would like send it to directors he wanted to work with and be like hey if anyone is interested in this and he apparently got a ton of American work based on this because people love that movie and they love him in it so (laughs) much and this is one of the movies he got this because of 32 short films about Glenn Gould think about that can you be burned at the stake yes we might not have any um good cop bond cop if you didn't have to start with me <laughs> bond cop bad cop Sorry. i've seen that movie is it way bond more times is it bond cop bad cop it's bond cop bad cop yes it is i got that intoxicated at like um a party for i want to say like air canada or something like that and they had the the grab bags were just um like dvd copies of that film and somehow i came home it was like a joke between my partner and i because no one took them and we have like 22 <laughs> copies of that dvd and there's like i don't even know what what to do with these like valley village they're probably still out of valley village all 22 copies of good cop bond cop bad bad cop bond cop bond cop bad bond cop, cop, bad bon cop. cop bad that's bad the one cop, yeah. yes <laughs> oh my god 
Now, 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 now you're making me hate. <laughs> I like Colm Fior. Let me like Colm Fior. Yeah. But I do really appreciate that they like you're and watching these 90, 90s movies, you do get those moments of, oh, hey, it's so and so in an early role. And like, I think the 90s really are like the perfect time for that, guys, because there's just so many populated mm. like budgets were. Uh, budgets were bigger and they were making like pu- putting more tr- uh, uh, more opportunities out to make more films so you have more opportunities for character actors who get to show up and you're like hey you know it's John Carroll Lynch when's the last time I got to see John Carroll Lynch do something fun right throw Victor Garber on the Titanic make him go down with the ship and we're all <laughs> <laughs> also saying. 97 yeah I mean like I, look we were talking about the emotional uh, the incredible performances the emotional honesty versus the implausible setup here but the action I mean can't dismiss how great the action is I and mean, I think even uh, on in terms of like for John Woo there's a certain elevation of his house style from hard-boiled because it's like Look, like I mean, if you talk, if you try to describe John Woo's action, like you know, the double fisting hammers, yeah. the the how like, many the, Mexican the, the standoff does one movie need? Like, there's four in yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, I, the fact that a guy needs an entire clip of bullets before he finally goes down, <laughs> always, mm-hmm. you know, like like I don't even remember in Hard Target where like Van Damme, I think he's like holding a gun upside down and yes. like unloading an entire gun, and the guy's still standing, and then he kicks the cigar out yes. of his mouth or something, or kicks his face so the cigar finally falls out, you know, like that kind of ludicrous action. But like like John Woo's style of action is I think you know again it's so singular because I do feel like he's just extending the martial arts genre like into the gun violence genre like into the western essentially like basically like the the gun action it's all balletic dance action that's like where like the guns are just extensions of these martial arts like ribbons like a a rhythmic gymnastics routine except instead of (laughs) ribbons there's bullets and guns where- yeah, and then so seeing that in Face Off, I mean, like the, the like my favorite. You know, you were asking uh, earlier about favorite set piece. My favorite favorite set piece is the the action scene. Um, it's immediately following the the over the mm-hmm. rainbow business. It's that sequence where Travolta and 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 Nicholas Cage turn around and face yeah. each other in the mirror, yeah. the mirror shot, right? Which is, by the way, it's a previous shot yeah. of John Woo's. He's done the back-to-back, yeah. like, standoff thing before where the two, and then, you know, it's, it's there in hard target. But this one is, like, the one that really, it's like he perfected it in Face Off. It's like, I did this thing a bunch of times before, but I am perfecting it in this movie and making it work for the, what this it really story is. Well, number one, he has the budget. And number two, he can bank on the fact that a lot of North Americans probably haven't seen his movies, right? At least the original versions, mm-hmm. even with DVD releases. Yeah, I mean, it really is the confluence and the, the like meeting of Hong Kong cinema and what made Hong Kong cinema such a, you know, blockbuster in the East and Hollywood. Um, it, you would think that for a lot of actors coming from Hong Kong or from Asia in general, when they make their first Hollywood film, and certainly this isn't his first, he had um, Broken Arrow and Hard Target previous, it's usually a failure. I mean, think about Wong Kar Wai doing My Blueberry Nights or, you know, that's maybe not the, well, no, that's an okay example because that was dismal. So most of the times that is what happens. And here we have John Woo um, you know, and Hong Kong cinema is always riffing off of Hollywood and the films that they were seeing being imported uh, in English speaking theaters. And it's he's just he understands Hollywood by being an outsider. And so in some ways, he's able to distill what's so exciting about Hollywood genre and Hollywood cliche and puts his own 
foreign spin on it um and it works perfectly it it really it's like you know a, a russian conductor making some sort of like this is not a good metaphor a russian conductor like working in a british ballet form like it's just there's something <laughs> hybridity there like that makes it both very yeah. familiar but then uncanny and this whole film is like uncanny valley right that's what it's playing off of it's almost like a universal 1930s monster film it's it's so uncanny and I really, really appreciate this film. There's a speedboat chase. Um, this is a film that has <laughs> Nick Cassavetes, the son of John Cassavetes yep. and Jenna Rollins in it, playing the hammiest gangster who might have some sort of um, incestuous relationship with his sister. I'm unclear because there's that weird kiss. Uh, it's, it's, it's everything. It's everything that shouldn't be in a Hollywood film, but is there somehow and works. That's, that's the name. <laughs> Just drop the mic. Don't forget the doves, the doves though. Okay, yeah. no, no, right yeah. after you said that, the doves should have came flying through. Yeah. The doves and the pigeons. Like, I, or like, I should have on. grabbed someone's ass because there's a lot of ass grabbing climax <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, parts yeah. in this film. It's, it's very um, <laughs> unfortunate. This, this, this the, the like this is too bad we're doing this on Zoom. Like shit. Like the ass cheeks would have been available. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well then, I uh, I think we should probably end it there. And Rad, once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love it. <laughs> now tell people how they can find you and your work because you are everywhere. I'm everywhere, so just start up there. <laughs> go there. I'm, a, I'm a at Just Say Rad on Twitter and Instagram, and you could find the rest of the shit out. <laughs> Excellent. Alicia Fletcher, thank you so much once again. Thank you. I have two things. One, they wanted Jack Nicholson to play Castro Troy's father, and he would be, or sorry, mother, and he would be in drag. And I oh can't God. even imagine <laughs> what that would be like if it happened. This just gets weirder yeah and two rad and i are celebrating our 14 year friendship anniversary today according to according facebook, to facebook. <laughs> we were, there's like a good six <laughs> months prior to that where we met but uh <laughs> well i mean but remember it's also the birth of facebook so yeah that was a whole yeah, yeah but yes we had so they, i like woke up to prepare years, for this yes. podcast and there was like 14 or really not 14 there's maybe like 12 photos of rad and my history like where like his child, who's now almost an adult, is like this tiny baby, and I look yeah. much thinner, and it was just all lovely. <laughs> it was so lovely to see. Yeah, I went through various yeah, weight yeah. fluctuations, various <laughs> modes of hair and facial yes, yes, hair yes. too. We have a very long yeah. history yeah. together, and I love it. I love that we're still actually able to yes, work. Thank you for that, it. Becky. That's it's really special for us. It's always a pleasure. All right. And you can join us next week as we continue on with the cavalcade of absurd action films that were in 1997, as we're joined by podcaster and comedian Graham Clark looking at Air Force One and Turbulence. That's coming up next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Want to email the podcast? You can do so at podcast at hollywoodsuite.ca. Want to chat with us and find more great content from Hollywood Suite? Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial-free. Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen on four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cam Maitland and featured Alicia Fletcher and Rad Simon Pillay as guests. Supervising producer is Emily Gagné. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kumaria. Creative consultant is Ryan Maines. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you next week. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.